Roe is a Hispanic software engineer who grew up in the Bronx and was recently promoted in her job less than one year out of college. Roe's journey is one wild ride. She was in and out of college for about 10 years, switching her concentration several times. Then when she finally decided to pursue a computer science degree, she became pregnant. Not only did she continue her full-time studies as a new mother, in her final year, when she was completing an internship, she became pregnant again. Without a single one of her colleagues knowing, she managed to raise her two young children while crushing her internship and landing a return full-time offer. She shares her experiences and insights through her journey to becoming a software engineer, raising her family, graduating in her late 20s, and getting a full-time software job. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Ro. It's so nice to chat with you today. I'm really excited to dig more into your background. Why don't we just start with a quick introduction? So maybe your name um, and a little bit about yourself. Sure. And thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Uh, my name is Ro Encarnacion, and I am a software engineer in fintech in New York City. I'm a newly minted software engineer, if you can call it that. I graduated last May and I started uh, in August of 2019. I know you're from the Bronx mm-hmm. um, and I believe you were born and raised there, is that right? Yeah, I was born, raised and educated in the Bronx. I'm curious to learn a little bit more about how being born and raised in the Bronx kind of shaped your journey or who you are today. I grew up in and still live in a predominantly Black and Hispanic community. And I really didn't know much outside that bubble. Um, So I went to school with, again, predominantly Black and Hispanic students. So I saw people that looked like me, spoke like me, had the same uh, issues and things to talk about like me all the time until I graduated high school and started college. I went to college first at Pace University um, up in Pleasantville in Westchester. And that was sort of a culture shock for me um, because you come from a place that isn't the same as the experiences that others there have. And my first time um, at university, I was dorming with three other girls. And they were so completely different from me. Uh, I had two white roommates and the other roommate was black. So we had a little bit of everything in terms of how our lives were, how our upbringing was. And it was a little difficult too, because I felt like I, I didn't fit in. And it was weird to share about myself because I didn't know if it was okay, mm. if they would accept me. Um, and I had, I had a tough time with that. I, I actually couldn't let go of that. And I, I transferred out. So when I left, I went into the CUNY system a little bit closer to home. I went to Hunter College. And I think having the diversity of New York City really helped, even if I didn't see it in the classroom. At least I saw it when I walked outside. So getting outside of Westchester kind of brought that back home for me. And I realized how much, how important being a part of my community is to me and to what I want to do in the future and just making sure that folks that come out of my community like me or even that still live in here um, 
have opportunities like the ones I did to explore what's out there, to see the different perspectives and come back and say, oh, I kind of like it here. Mm. You you mentioned in your first college experience that you one of the reasons why you transferred out was because you didn't feel like you fit in or you weren't represented. In. Um, what part of yourself did you feel like you couldn't show or be because you were in that environment? I was really shy uh, when I started college and I was nervous to do anything really, to talk to new people, to speak up in class. And when I did venture out to do that, uh, I was kind of pushed away. And uh, one experience I remember was that I brought in a handbag that I had brought, that I had brought from my with my own money. Uh, and someone had asked me, is that real? And I was shocked to hear that question. And it was sort of like, whoa, why would you ask me that? And they walked away and laughed. And I thought it was, it was a very odd, mean girls kind of situation. Oh my God, yeah. Um, and I had other experiences like that where I felt like in other, and it, it really just had to do with the people I was around at the time. Um, it wasn't the full scope of my experience, but those things kind of really stick with you. So interesting. Tell me a little bit more about what you were like as a kid. Did you have any specific career aspirations when you were a kid? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. I was a super shy kid. It was a, kind of a joke in my family where uh, they would know that I wasn't going to talk. I wasn't really going to say hi. <laughs> I would just sit in the corner. Uh, <laughs> and in Hispanic families, that's not okay. That's sort of, <laughs> that's frowned upon. So they called me La Aburrida, which is the bored one. And it's just because I, I just didn't know how to get out of my shell. And that's how I was for a large portion of my life, <laughs> even into my college years. And as a kid, I kind of gravitated towards things that would let me keep that bubble personality uh, where I just kept to myself. So I gravitated towards um, creative arts, like drawing and writing and things for personal expression where I couldn't really speak about what I wanted to share because I, I felt nervous, but I can... I express it in those mediums so I could write about what I was feeling and I still have journals from when I was a kid and so I grew up wanting to be an artist I wanted to draw uh, a lot of my um, aspirations were more creative um, I mean now you're here recording a podcast with me so that's something to share with your family <laughs> as a as a proof of, of breaking out of that shell yeah yeah what was the inflection point where you felt like you broke out of your shell it was about five years into my professional experience. So I'm a new grad by name, uh, but I have a lot of professional experience. Five years in, I got a new job and that job really exposed me to a lot of different people from different backgrounds, from different cultures. And there I really had to make sure I stood on my own and that I stood up for myself. So if somebody said something to me that I didn't agree with, I didn't want to just stay quiet. I started sort of fighting back. That experience, those four years after that, that I was in that job really shaped who I was as a person. A lot of it is also um, coming from my husband. He helped me be more confident. So when I 
would come to him with things that I experienced at work, he would encourage me to go and say, okay, just say something about that. You, know, mm-hmm. you don't have to stay quiet. It started there, but it definitely evolved over time. What was that job? What was that first job that you mentioned? I was a IT help desk analyst at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And my manager there, Elan, is still one of the most incredible managers I've ever had. He really helped my personal development as well. Um, And there were so many different voices there. There were Mm -hmm. every race um, was represented in that in that team, every kind of background you could think of. It was incredible to be a part of that because it's kind of what I missed from being at Pace where you had all these different perspectives and everybody actually wanted to hear what yours was. A joke my husband used to make is that um, I would we would go to a new restaurant and I would only order a quesadilla because <laughs> I was afraid of <laughs> trying out the other foods. And I started eating different foods that would oh, wow. they, they would bring into the office. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, give me anything. I want to try it. That's so funny. What made um, your boss there such an incredible boss? It really showed me what it meant to be fully supportive. So he wanted to know how he could help me, not just in my career, but evolve in general. He was someone that showed me how to be a leader and showed me how to really get people on your side and be mm-hmm. genuine and be empathetic. Did this boss, was, uh, did he come from a similar background as you? Not at all. He was born in Israel. Oh, wow. And immigrated here. And, mm-hmm. uh, but there was no judgment from him there. He loved hearing my stories. He loved hearing how I grew up. Knowing that someone's on your side genuinely is so powerful because mm-hmm. you feel like you can go and do anything and that that's who he was for me that's awesome um okay i want to rewind a little bit we talked a little bit about your professional experience and we talked a little bit about as a kid growing up and wanting to do something in the creative and arts field but fill in the gaps for me in between what did you end up studying in college um, and talk me through a little bit about your college journey yeah, so that's a that's a very interesting one um, because it was a roller coaster ride for me. I had the opportunity to go to a technology high school, and I'm going to be honest and say the only reason I applied was because they promised free laptops. Oh, and <laughs> as as a kid with no laptop at home, no technology other than. Um, a VCR and a DVD player. I was like, okay, I really want this laptop. In the ninth grade, I started a web development class because I think it was, it just fit into my schedule and I thought it was something cool to throw in. And after the first day, I was like, whoa, what is this? This is amazing. (laughs) And so I thought naturally for me, I would just major in computer science. And that's what I did when I first started college. And I didn't end up taking any computer science course while I was at the first college I went to because I was terrified that I wasn't smart enough taking a formal class in it where I had to get a grade and prove that I knew this stuff instead of jumping around on tutorials was really scary for me. So after I transferred out of that college, I decided I wanted to 
major in veterinary sciences because I thought I could help my community and provided low-cost services to those in communities that like mine. I realized that that wasn't going to work for me because, well, I didn't want to be the one to put animals down. Mm-hmm. And so um, from there, I changed my major to accounting. At that point, when I changed my major, I was deep into personal finance. And I mm-hmm. thought, okay, I could help my community understand how credit cards work, how loans work. I can help students understand what student loans are. I realized that personal finance isn't the same thing as accounting. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of in limbo after that. I went in and out of semesters. So one semester I would take coursework and then also try to work full time. Another semester I tried to just take full time coursework and it didn't work out. Things would come up and I would drop the courses. So I kind of had a on again, off again relationship with college. <laughs> to be honest, a lot of the times I dropped them because um, I hadn't developed a growth mindset then where I thought that if I wasn't good enough to understand it the first time around, I wasn't ever going to get it. Mm. So I quit on myself early. I quit on myself a lot of times. And I think that's ultimately the reason why it took me so long to finally go for and finish my degree. When I finally had it with myself, I stopped giving myself excuses. In fall 2016, I decided to transfer out of the college I was in and go closer to home um, to Lehman College. And I had to get it right because if I didn't get it right, this was the last stop. Once I got through that first semester, everything else was smooth sailing. I realized I had nothing to be afraid of. I aced my computer science courses and I found a community there, which is also something I didn't have. So that journey from the first time I majored to computer science to the very last time in computer (laughs) science uh, to the last time I majored in computer science was, wasn't linear at all. <laughs> um, there were a lot of different jobs in between then, a lot of life changes as well. I got married in between that time also. All of that though really shaped my decisions mm-hmm. and who I ultimately am today. So while to many it might seem like I took a really long time uh, I to me, I took the right amount of time. Yeah, yeah. And so from the first time you enrolled in computer science to the last time when you graduated, how long was that? That was ten years. Okay. And so, how old are you now? I am twenty nine. And how do you feel about calling yourself a new grad being twenty nine? Oh, it's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird because. And this is something that I don't really see talked about a lot for those of us transitioning careers and you're, you're starting basically over, but you have so much experience that Mm -hmm. you're bringing with you. You can't forget about that. So I had communication skills. Well, I still do. Um, I know how to write. I know how to have a discussion without it blowing up. I know how to have conversations with people that may not share the same opinions as me. And those are things that folks that have 
10 years of experience in any field usually get during that time. Mm -hmm. And so me coming in as a new grad, I knew that for the most part, my colleagues and my cohort, cohort rather, didn't have that same experience just because they didn't have the years I had put in. And it doesn't mean that gave me a leg up, um, but it does mean that I had something to contribute that maybe others didn't. Mm -hmm. Do your colleagues or your cohort, do they recognize that you're older than them? And does that affect the way they treat you at all? So I didn't tell anyone until a few months in and it was like slow going. I told a few people, my manager of course knew, but I told a few people and then a few people more and nothing changed. Nobody thought of me any different. Mm -hmm. Nobody really thought it was a detriment, which I was terrified that Mm -hmm. having a family, because I have two boys and I'm married, and having this other work experience was going to be an obstacle for me, that they would think wrong of me. And Mm -hmm. nobody ever said that. So I don't Mm -hmm. think I don't know why I I would think that. Interesting. So you almost built this fear up in your head. Yes, exactly. It was all in my head. It's to them, it made sense now, the way I am. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, okay, now I get it. It's not just like this really mature 21-year-old. That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, walk me through this crazy roller coaster ride that you had of having starting a family while finishing your degree graduating and getting being new into the workforce because I imagine that was an insane ride that not many people experience oh oh yeah this is this is plays out like a novel um (laughs) it so when I went back to finish my degree in fall 2016 I jumped in with both feet I got involved on campus. I got a, elected as president of the Nesby chapter. I was all in. I had to, in my head, I wasted so much time that I needed to make up for it. And then in spring of 2017, I found out that I, I was pregnant. And I was so shocked. And of course, my husband was way more shocked than me. I was pregnant during um, a summer research program that I was in with Microsoft and nobody knew. <laughs> I don't That's think crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone still knows. Um, oh well, God. they knew after they saw me pregnant afterward, <laughs> but I don't think they've connected that I was pregnant during that time. And so I did everything. I wore big t-shirts and <laughs> Uh, There was one time where we did a wine and cheese thing and I had to pretend I didn't like the wine. Oh my um, God. So I didn't (laughs) drink it. It it was so, so surreal for me. And I I panicked because in my mind, I was 16 and pregnant and Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Mm -hmm, (laughs) I was, I think I was 26. Seven. I was really scared of telling people because I thought they'd be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just built up in my head. And then I decided that I wasn't going to let me being pregnant stop me or make people think that I'm any different than who I was when they, before they found out I was pregnant five minutes before. Right. Um, 
So I continued on as if I was not pregnant. I was still leading initiatives at, on college, on campus. I was still working really hard at my part-time job. I went through the research internship, of course, without anybody knowing. I was still so involved. And to anyone on the outside, I was not pregnant at all. Um, but come November, I was showing a lot. And there are still pictures of me at the hackathon that I was organizing with other people on my team, uh, me pregnant. And people would ask me, are you okay? You just sit. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's okay. I'm fine. I, wow. I can walk around. I'm good. That is how it went up until February of 2018 when I gave birth. I didn't take a break. Mm -hmm. I uh, kept going to school. And also by this time, I had a fellowship with Microsoft as a civic tech fellow. I had taken a break from that and said I would be back in a month. Sure enough, in a month, I came back. So you were doing a fellowship and you were going to school. Yes. And I was and, working part-time. And you were pregnant. Yeah. yeah wow, and I was okay. pregnant. Okay. Insane. Yeah. Um, I had the help of my family. Um, my husband and I switched off our classes. So he would take care of our son when I was in class and vice versa. Um, so it, I kind of just kept going as if, this wasn't like a huge deal, even though the birth of my son was something that changed me profoundly as a person. Uh, but I didn't want anybody to have a say in that. I didn't want them to think, oh, she has a mom now and she has a newborn. So she really can't be bothered to do these things. I thought, no, ask me and I will tell you yes or no. Um, so a lot of who I am is really making sure I give no one excuses to think that I can't do the work that is given to me. No matter what I have, I will make it work. And if I can't right now, I'll, I'll let you know that wasn't who I was before. I was very much a yes person. Tell me how you finished up your degree and then how you had your second son and then how you landed your full-time position. Yes. So I started my internship the following summer after um, I gave birth to my son, I no one also knew I was uh, I had a son that I was a mom that I was married until the very last day. It wasn't something that had anything to do with what I could deliver. So I wanted them to see that professionally I can bring it, that I can work, that I can be a good software engineer. And so I feel like I did do that because I did get a return offer. Um, and that's what led into the next chapter of this saga, <laughs> <laughs> where I found out that year um, in September that I was pregnant again. At this point, my husband and I were like, well, we went through this one time. We can do it again. <laughs> We, again, just went through it as if this was just another thing in our lives that we had to move through. This time, I gave myself a space to really prioritize what I could do and what I wanted to do. I didn't say yes to as many things. I delegated a lot of things that I couldn't myself do. And I went through until graduation. I was pregnant while I was at the ceremony. Um, so I had him about a month later in June of 2019. And then I started 
my first full-time job where I am now seven weeks after he was born. Oh my God. That is insane. What would you say are misconceptions that people have of working mothers? If I'm just speaking personally to you, I really think that the misconception is that you don't have help when you're doing it by yourself. Hmm, interesting. That's one of them for me. And that because you're, the belief is that you're in this by yourself, and you could be, you know, there are right. single parents, obviously, but the assumption I feel like is made that you're a working mom and you're only doing this by yourself. So because you're only doing this by yourself, I don't want to burden you. Mm. And we're not even given the benefit of the doubt that it's not a burden. All you have to do is ask me. And if I can't Mm -hmm. do something, then you have to be okay with that. But you also have to be okay with asking me later. Whoever's on your team on your side should understand that and should understand that the next opportunity, if they feel you are fit, for doing that mm-hmm. task or that taking on that role of responsibility, they should ask you and not assume that, no, you can't do it because you are a working mom and you have responsibilities at home. I will tell you what my responsibilities yeah. are. I will tell you what I can and cannot do. And I don't feel like that should be decided for any parent. And sometimes I feel like that could come across as well-intentioned as it is. Right. Um, but it sort of takes away opportunities that you might not even know you've had because you weren't presented with them. Totally. Wow. That is, that is really insightful. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, it sounds like you were somewhat lucky in, in the sense that you, while you were in the process of having your building your family, you had that internship opportunity because you were still in school, which allowed you to get the return offer and get full time. So did you feel like you didn't go through some of the more typical challenges of interviewing and more of that recruitment process? Or what was your experience in general with recruiting processes? So I went through the gamut of technical interviews that most um, college students go through. It, it, it was hard and I couldn't focus on my family. I had to focus on the interviews that were coming up. As any college student can tell you, it's super difficult and sometimes disheartening to go through these technical interviews and feel like you not getting an opportunity is a reflection of who you are as a person. When I had a lot of those no, 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 which I had more than yeses, um, that was tough to go through. But because I was in college and I shared a similar experience to the other college students, I could still share that experience with them and and say, you know, Mm -hmm. technical interviews are so sucky sometimes (laughs) what what is the most frustrating part of the interview process for you if the interview process involves whiteboarding I think for me it's the idea that who your skills are based on that snapshot right of you that day and that's not true I mean there are people including myself who aren't great test takers and we do so much better when you can throw us into the environment and we can show you how we can work. But when you give us just 30 minutes to put together a solution to a problem, some of us might freeze. You ask me what two plus two is on the street and I don't know you and you just tap me and ask me, I'm going to be like, what? What is going on? It's 
kind of unfortunate that that's the way it is right now or not kind of it really is truly unfortunate because there are students that don't have the opportunities that students from maybe top tier schools have but that doesn't mean that they're not brilliant it doesn't mean that they don't have the skills and drive and ambition to get through technical career i feel like in that way it's not equitable and it's not fair mm-hmm. um while we're on the topic of recruiting and processes that are not equitable, I'm curious to hear if you ever felt that other parts of your identity created a barrier for you to break into tech. So being a female or being Hispanic or coming from your college or being from the Bronx, did any of those parts of your identities, did you feel create any barriers for you to break into tech? Yes, definitely. Uh, I didn't go to a top tier school. I found it difficult to get callbacks for interviews. Weirdly enough, I attended the Grace Hopper conference and I had applied for the companies that I had interviews for then. I had applied uh, outside of the Grace Hopper application system and I didn't get callbacks, but I got callbacks at Grace Hopper. So I thought, that's weird. Why would you call me back at a diversity conference? but not if I applied as a regular applicant through your Mm -hmm. application system. I found that weird because it wasn't the first time it happened to me. And I feel like when you're not from a top tier school or top program and you're not white and you're not a male, uh, it's a lot more difficult to get in front of someone to say, hey, look, I'm here. I'm good. Can you just give me a shot? Mm -hmm. And I try to do a lot of things to mitigate that. I removed my address from my resume so nobody would see the Bronx in my zip code, try to look me up and see, oh, this is where she lives. I even removed my last name from some of the resumes that I've sent in. Um, And it's just something that I wish we didn't have to think about. I know there are definitely things that companies are doing to change that. Uh, But I think the change is too slow. Mm -hmm. And I think there's more that we can do to tap into students from communities like myself that all they really need is an opportunity to show you that they can do it. Mm -hmm. And that opportunity may not look like just giving them an interview. It might look like Here is an enrichment program to get you up to speed where where everyone else is at. And that's Mm -hmm. equity. Mm -hmm. That's giving you the opportunity to say, okay, I know exactly what the person next to me who went to this tier one school knows. So I'm on the same playing field as them. And now I can go in and dive in and show you what I got. I mean, speaking of which, are there programs that you've been seeing companies do that you think are good initiatives for people like yourself? So programs that I'm thinking of are ones that fill in the gaps where some universities don't have the resources to do that themselves. So programs like mini boot camp for students Mm -hmm. that are sophomores or freshmen to go through a learning course where they learn how to build a web app or build anything that could help them put a project on their resume and programs that are pipeline programs. So if you're not in computer science, 
sort of like an apprenticeship, you would go into a full-time role as a software engineer. And I think that's incredible because it's giving those the opportunities that didn't get to see, hey, I'm actually really good at computer science and I want to do this, but it's too late for me to do it now. They then have the opportunity to engage with those programs, get in and get through the same pipeline that other new grads can get in through but in a different way. So it's kind of bridging those gaps between those who didn't have the opportunities to begin with and mm. maybe those that did, but didn't have the resources to get up to speed like everyone else is. I love that. You know, I think that it's really challenging, especially for a career shifter who is not a new grad to get these entry-level internship positions because those are usually only allocated to people who are currently enrolled in school. So yeah. these types of programs that are bridging the gap are, are amazing. Yeah. What about in the workplace? So now, you know, somebody goes through the whole gamut of going through interviews and recruiting, they get into the workplace. How can workplaces create more parent-friendly policies that you are in favor of? For working parents in general, it, it starts with empathy. Empathy has to be baked into your leadership. It has mm-hmm. to be baked into your team processes. It has to be a part of your hiring. Do you have a specific example that you can share that can reflect that? Making sure that whoever is recruiting, whoever's at the table making decisions that could impact someone's life, because some of these some of the folks applying for these positions this this is it for them they they need this and if the folks that are at the table lead with that intention understanding that this isn't just a regular interview for someone for someone it could be life-changing making sure that you check your biases at the door bias training is going to be really important but making sure that sinks in is a little bit more difficult and I think there needs to be um, someone who oversees the interview process at every level um, to make sure did we overlook this person because of them not having the skills we need or was it something else and is Mm -hmm. that something else playing into a bias or stereotype Mm -hmm. and making sure that someone's always in the room to catch that is important Mm -hmm. making sure that everyone's everyone starts at the same salary Yep. And you're transparent about those salaries. So it doesn't feel like someone makes more than you. Mm-hmm. Everybody makes the same no matter what position, what level they're at, if they're at the same position. So yeah. that's a big part of it too, just being transparent in your hiring process so everybody knows what to expect. But when you're in, also making sure that whatever information is vital for the careers of everybody at any level is also transparent. That's great. What about on job descriptions or on company websites? What would what excites you when you read a job description or or a company's website that makes you feel like okay, this company is inclusive. This company leads with empathy. What are some things you've seen that have attracted you? When I don't see needs x amount of years in this industry of technology to get. <laughs> That's the first thing. Totally. If, if you tell me I need five plus years, then what will happen is that people self-select. They will say, I don't have five plus years, so I'm not even going to look at this. I think having years of experience in something isn't necessarily a good indicator of someone who's fit for the role. So if I see something that 
doesn't have years of experience as part of their uh, job description. I'm like, okay, these people get it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And when you are explicit about what you're not looking for. So I did see a posting where somebody wrote, we do not look at your school and we do not look at your GPA. So that to me, yeah, that to me signaled you don't care about pedigree. You want me for me. Taking out words like rock star or uh, I don't even know, like ninja and stuff. It doesn't (laughs) even make sense. Like (laughs) that that shouldn't be part of a job description. If you're putting in these words, you're telling me that I'm pretty sure I'm not going to fit in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm not going to be a rock star 100% yeah. of the time. There are times where I'm going to need to take a break. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So true. Um, I mean, last question, Ro. I'm curious to hear, now that you've gone through this whole experience, and if you were to give yourself advice when you were, let's say, 20, what would you tell yourself? Uh, I think first and foremost, there's the concept of know thyself. And I think when I was 20, I put too much pressure on myself to be someone that I wasn't or that I wasn't yet. So a lot of the reasons why I quit early on was because I felt that point in time, I wasn't smart enough to keep going instead of thinking, I just don't have the information right now but it doesn't mean I won't ever have it. We, if we keep going, if we persevere, we eventually figure things out. And that, that's what software engineering has taught me. At some points, I feel like I'm never going to get this. And then there's a breakthrough moment. It's a light bulb moment. And I think the reason why a lot of us do that to ourselves is because we can't see the light bulb. It's off. And not until you get closer to that, do you see it get, brighter and brighter and brighter and finally it goes off and you're like oh I get it now and then what happens is that you forget that you struggled so much through it (laughs) and making sure that I didn't count myself out is something that I wish I would have known when I was that age and Mm. that I would have led with that Mm. that message definitely resonates is there any other things that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you were wanted to talk about yeah I want to say that for anyone going through this journey, whether you're going back to college or you're taking a self-taught route or you're going to a boot camp, the most incredible thing for me, not only obviously making sure that I personally believe myself, but finding a community that also believed in me. doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's online, doesn't matter if it's your pets, doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if it's your spouse, your life partner, your teacher, your, doesn't matter who it Mm -hmm. is or who that, who in that community it is. If you feel connected to those folks and they give back to you as well, I think that's really the most important thing. If I didn't have my community now Mm -hmm. of friends, of um, faculty that helped me through this, my husband, my family, that I wouldn't have been able to get through this. And that's really the missing piece. Mm -hmm. And I know if you feel like you don't have that, um, keep looking and don't surround yourself with people who will tell you that's too hard. You can't do it. Those aren't people who care about 
you and your and your career prospects and even you as a person um they're more invested in themselves and i think it's important to go out there and make yourself vulnerable and say hey i need help and i think that's when we find the people that really stick around and help us get through everything are there any resources or tools that have been useful for you in finding that community yes and unfortunately it starts with talking to people (laughs) and I think that that's very hard for a lot of folks Mm -hmm. and it was hard for me growing up in general like I mentioned early on making sure that you're open and you say hey I don't know this thing right now can you help Mm -hmm. me out or I'm having a tough time with this can um can I have anybody who will listen to me that that's really where you'll find those resources there are definitely communities online on Facebook. And if Mm. you're a a woman in college right now, you can apply for Women Rewriting the Code. It's a group of intelligent, amazing women um, who are college students and going through the process of going into a technical career in different roles. But beyond that, if you don't find something, you should start it. And that's what I did um, before I graduated from college. I started Women in Computer Science because I feel like there weren't a lot of women there. And for the women that were there, we weren't very connected. So I wanted to build that community for those who felt like me. And it doesn't matter if it's only you and another person. It's you and another person. <laughs> um, so if you feel like you need to build that community, somebody else probably needs it too. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, Ro, we're going into some rapid fire questions. So quick one word answers, one word to describe yourself. Ambitious. Alternative career path you would take if you could not be a software engineer. Teacher. Hmm. Favorite book or podcast. Kindred by Octavia Butler. Something on your bucket list. Ooh, live in a different country. Oh, your favorite app. Okay, right now, it's the Target app. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last one. Um, Something you do for self-care. I take naps. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) I try to take as many naps as I can. (laughs) I'm sure that's much needed. That really wraps up our conversation. I honestly feel like I could talk to you for so many more hours. (laughs) I really appreciate the time you took and really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is really a lot of fun. Um, thank you for making it easy for me. I'm, I'm so happy I had this opportunity to speak with you and share, share my journey. Ro felt she had to hide the fact that she was pregnant during college, worried that she would lose opportunities and the respect of others in her cohort if they found out. She faced discrimination while applying to jobs to the point she left out her last name and address on resumes to give herself a better chance of getting an interview. She recommended programs to help teach those with limited resources how to make projects they can put on their resumes and help bridge the gap between those who went to top-tier universities and those who did not. Roe also expressed the importance of interviewers having more empathy and understanding of how much a job could change someone's life. Bias training and having someone else in the room to oversee the interview process could help to give better chances to those from non-traditional backgrounds and ensure they are not being unfairly discriminated against. Roe also spoke about the importance of having support from an online community, from family, or from peers 
having the support of others is an invaluable resource. She shared that if you cannot find a community, you can start one. And even reaching out and asking others for help can create a network of support. I hope Rose's story inspires new grads, career shifters, and new parents, as her story really stands out as a true one of breaking barriers. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hatchways is a platform that discovers talented software engineers that often fall through the cracks of traditional hiring processes. This podcast is to share their stories. Some have managed to navigate through the broken system and land employment, while others are still unemployed, some for a few months, some for a few years. We hope their experiences and ideas will educate you and propel the tech industry toward an employment system that is more aware, empathetic, and inclusive. If you want to learn more about Hatchways, visit hatchways.io. And if you would like to be a part of the podcast, or if you have questions you'd like to ask future job seekers on the podcast, email us at hello at hatchways.io.